0: Now let's get our Bibles and let's go together to the book of John, the gospel of John chapter 17, sorry, chapter 14, gospel of John chapter 14. As you know, we've been going through our statement of faith. We've we've kind of taken the summer to do a series through our statement of faith that where we see a summary of some of the more vital beliefs, some of the more essential beliefs as Christians that we hold In common, not just as one local church, but as, as we hold in common with our entire family of churches in Sovereign Grace. Part of what we've seen through this series, we've gone in depth into the triune nature of God, that God is Father, Son, Spirit. We sung about many of those things this morning. We see that God, there is one God, but three distinct persons. And in this series, we've gone in depth into God the Father. We've seen in-depth God the Son, and today we're going to begin to see uh, in-depth God the Holy Spirit. Now, when you hear someone say we're going to be dealing with the person of the Holy Spirit, and maybe uh, someone with a background like mine or a church like ours, you can immediately think, okay, this is going to be a sermon on the spiritual gifts. It's not, not today at least. We're going to, Lord willing, save that to next week. But there's something that's called the broad work of the Spirit that we should never neglect and we should never think is secondary. In fact, it's it's primary when it comes to the work of the Spirit. And that is found by asking questions like, what is the Spirit's role in our salvation? How does the Spirit work in us through the process, the lifelong process of sanctification? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Right? You got lots of different opinions on that question. And then just basically and and tangibly, what does it mean to live and walk by the Spirit in my daily life, not just on a Sunday morning? We know, for instance, living the Christian life, if you've done that any length of time, you you can admit with me we cannot do that in our natural abilities. We need supernatural help, supernatural strength. And not just for our own hearts, but we obviously need that when we're wanting to help other people follow Christ and we want to help make other disciples. And so this morning, I just want there to be a clear reminder, just this clarion call for us as a church to be reminded that through the person and power of the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need to live transformed lives ourselves and to help others do the same. We already have that in the Holy Spirit in us. Now, we're going to be looking at different passages of Scripture today, but we're going to look first at John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 15 through 17, and then we're going to pray and ask for God to help us this morning. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this good promise. That as you ascended to heaven, you promised your disciples you would never leave us. And Lord, we know that you've given us a mission that we cannot do in our own strength. And so this morning, Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the promise and thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us who trusted in you. Now, Spirit, would you give us eyes and ears to see and hear the Word of God today. Root it deeply in us, not just as new things to think on, but as hearts that will be transformed by these truths. Help us now, we pray. Amen. Well, No matter your background or how long you've been a Christian, there's usually, uh, we all have in common certain struggles. And one of those struggles, at least theologically... Most Christians have difficulty understanding the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Especially if you've had a background, let's say, of a more reserved Christianity or a more, maybe more reformed upbringing, um, you have even possibly heard very little of the Holy Spirit. That's not always the case, but sometimes that's the case. Now, I grew up in more of a Pentecostal background where. Uh, we always heard about the Holy Spirit, but in ways that were uh, unbiblical and unhelpful in many ways. So there's, there are extremes. But wherever extreme, or if you did come from an extreme, we can all admit we can grow in, we need to grow in our understanding and our appreciation of God the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to recognize what we've already seen through this series. The Holy Spirit is God. God. As much as the Father is God, as much as the Son is God. And yet we know the Holy Spirit functions in many different ways. For instance, all the way back in Genesis 1, we see that as God creates all things, the Bible is explicit to tell us that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit is identified from the very beginning of Scripture, and He was active even then. And then as you make your way through the Old Testament, you can't miss the active, powerful presence of the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. We see him manifested in certain ways with kings or priests or prophets in empowering them for specific tasks. Uh, We see that in the book of Judges where the Spirit comes upon God's servants for moments in time and then departs. We see all through the Old Testament where the spirit gave prophecies or dreams or visions either to encourage God's people or to warn God's enemies. But for them the spirit was a visitor. The spirit came upon them for those certain tasks or those certain missions God sent them on and then would depart. But in the New Testament everything changes. Because of Jesus' completed work on the cross, the Spirit now is no longer a visitor. He, is, he has taken a permanent residency in every single follower of Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, that might be hard for us to appreciate because that's all we've ever known as believers, but just imagine that transition between Old Covenant and New Covenant where people are hearing in Jesus' time, in the disciples' time, that the Spirit is not just coming upon people temporarily or upon one person at a time, but God is going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. They could not have been able to comprehend what that meant. But the more the New Testament church progressed, the more they saw this firsthand, the more they experienced it, and the more they realized how much they needed the Holy Spirit and His involvement in their lives. Here in John 14, Jesus gives us a wonderful snapshot of who the Holy Spirit is and some of his functions and purposes. So we see, for instance, in verse 15, the Spirit is given to help us obey. Jesus connects obeying his commands with the help of the Spirit. We see that the Spirit is given by the Father to the church at the request of the Son. Verse 16. We also see in verse 16, the Spirit is called another helper. That's what Jesus calls him. Another helper indicates, Jesus is saying, here is one like me. Here is one who is going to function with you, and he will be with you forever. Jesus calls him the Spirit of truth, meaning that the Spirit is truth, and that the Spirit will expose or reveal the truth of Scripture to God's people, and he does that. In verse 17, the Spirit is not given to everyone in the world, but only to followers of Christ. And then finally, we see that Jesus says that not only would the Holy Spirit dwell with us, pointing to those moments in the Old Testament, but that the Holy Spirit would dwell in us, revolutionary, as he taught that. But let's just pause and ask this, or or maybe just observe this. Isn't, Isn't it ironic that the person of God who literally dwells in us is the person of God we tend to have the most misunderstanding about. Here's a helpful summary. As you think about the work and purpose of the Spirit in our lives, the Holy Spirit's primary work is to point us to Jesus. It's his primary work. That includes the moment you were saved. When you look back and say this was the moment I got saved, this was the moment I heard the gospel clearly and responded through faith and repentance. The Holy Spirit didn't start working on your heart in that moment. He had already been working on your heart. But it's not just at that moment of salvation, but we know the Holy Spirit is active and vital and necessary for every step and stage and growth in the Christian life past salvation. And so the spirit is active in our lives, which makes us completely dependent on him. Even the things we think we've got handled, the things we can do, we will royally mess it up if we try to do it in our own strength. And that's God's kindness. God doesn't take pleasure watching us mess up, but he takes pleasure in teaching us to depend on him. And the Holy Spirit who lives inside the believer, that is the one, he is the one who empowers us. Years ago, you know, last week we prayed for Haiti. Years ago, I went on a medical missions trip to Haiti. And one of the, the things that we did was we took along these devices, these eye scanners, that you could hold up to someone's face, they could look through, and then we would look through the other side of it, and the scanner would kind of digitalize their eyes and and whatever was going on, and would give us a plus or minus as to what kind of mild prescription they would need for eyeglasses. And then we would open up these huge suitcases full of random eyeglasses of different strengths, and then we would match them up. Well, you can imagine we had lines upon lines of people lining up to have their eyes checked and be given glasses. And just about every one of the people who came through, this was the first time, children or adults, this was the first time they had seen clearly, many of them, in their entire lives. Those moments where we're holding up these little scanners. And, you know, you kind of get into a rhythm, and you're starting to, okay, you, you, you see what you got to do, and you pull the glasses, and then you look back, and you hand them to the person, and they're looking, and these, these reactions were priceless. Some of them just had their mouths hanging open, as if they're seeing things clear. They're, they're see, and they'll look at families who are with them, they're looking at their faces, and then some of them are taking their glasses off, and wiping away tears, because they're seeing For the first time. Now, we could have spent all week handing out glasses, and people could have come through and been polite and said thank you and take those glasses and shove them in their pockets and go about their daily lives. And they would have never been changed. They would have had the power for that change, but if they didn't choose to put them on their faces, if they thought, well, they looked in the mirror, I don't like that color, I don't like that design. It's not a designer brand, which that's usually Americans, not everybody else, right? Oh, that doesn't look right on my face. It's not what I'm used to. I think I can make do. I've made do so far. I can make do the rest of my life. If they chose to do that, those glasses would have done them no good. I think there's a picture there of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. As much as not just owning a pair of glasses changes our sight, there is a matter of us choosing to walk by the Spirit. We grow in the Spirit, not by trying to see Him, but by seeing with Him and through Him. He is the one that gives us the clear understanding, the clear vision of who Jesus is. He's the one that gives us the power to obey, the desire to want to follow Christ. For every believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you, but to walk in the Spirit is a choice. We're going to get more into that in just a moment. This morning, I just want to unpack two primary works of the Spirit, lots of things the Spirit does. We're going to look at two, his saving work and his cleansing work. So number one, the Spirit's saving work. This past week, out of the blue, my son asked me if I have ever seen a miracle. And I told him, yes, I've seen many miracles. And I told him, the most amazing miracle I have ever seen is when a sinner repents and trusts in Jesus. Now some would say, yeah, that, but tell us about the healings you've seen. Never diminish that the greatest miracle we will ever see on this earth, God does the supernatural in all kinds of ways, but never diminish the greatest miracle of all is to see a hard, dead heart be made alive in Christ. And don't we want to see more of those miracles? No, every day. Now, Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So as we said, the primary work of the Spirit is to help us see Jesus, to point us to Jesus. And he does that in part through the miracle of regeneration. That's just a big word that means to live again, to be given new life. Before Jesus saved us, we were dead in our sins. That's what we just saw in Ephesians. But in an act completely initiated by God, and absolutely disconnected to any merit or value we would bring, the Holy Spirit came to us, took our dead, lifeless, sinful hearts, and made them alive in Christ. So as we heard last week, the same truth remains today. If you are saved, it is because God saved you. And when you responded to the good news of the gospel, Even that response was an effect and a result of the Holy Spirit already working in you, giving you the desire and ability to say yes to Christ. So, when it comes to the work of the Spirit, bringing sinners to Christ, we can see that he he does this by convicting us of our sins and by revealing the truth of the gospel to us, taking our dead hearts and making them alive. Jesus says in John 16:13, "When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come." So here we see Jesus again teaching about the Holy Spirit as the one who reveals the gospel, the one who convicts us of sin, And we know that the preaching of the gospel and the conviction of sin, they go hand in hand. In fact, the preaching of the gospel can only be effective if the Holy Spirit is the one revealing that truth. Imagine the experiences we've had in churches maybe all our lives. We're sitting in a church service, or we talk to friends after the gospel is preached, and one person is just absolutely rocked by the gospel, and another person says, It was just kind of another sermon to me. Or that prayer or that moment where you heard the same thing, but it landed on one and not so much on the other. Whatever's going on in those two different people, we can say this for sure. When we hear the gospel, when we see Christ, when we rejoice in that, when we recognize we are sinners and he is the Savior, it is because the Holy Spirit is the one that opened our eyes in that moment. And the encouraging part of that See, he didn't just come along and open your eyes and leave. He opened your eyes to live and dwell and help and walk with us and encourage us and mature us. So, this work of the Spirit in salvation is, is not just this instant and then He departs. It's the guarantee that the one who is doing the saving is the one that keeps us saved. And that's such an encouragement to us. 1 Thessalonians 1. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So the Holy Spirit identifies and illuminates the truth of written scripture. The work of the Spirit is never separate from the written word of God. But the Spirit and the Word are in complete harmony, and the Spirit works through the Word, never in contradiction to the Word. Now, in revealing the gospel to us, the Spirit makes God's Word come alive, right? At salvation, after salvation, you and I are reading the Bible. You know those those moments when you're reading, and it may have been something you've read a hundred times, but that hundred and first time you're reading, something jumps off the page something seems life-changing. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit at work in you, opening your eyes and not just saying, oh, that's an interesting fact, but actually changing our hearts in those moments by God's Word. And we know that apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot truly understand who Christ is, and we will not understand the Bible. Wayne Grudem says it this way, because of sin, our perception and analysis of God and creation are faulty. Therefore, it requires the work of the Holy Spirit overcoming the effects of sin to enable us to be persuaded that the Bible is indeed the Word of God and that the claims it makes for itself are true. Apart from the work of the Spirit of God, a person will not receive or accept the truth that the words of Scripture are in fact the words of God. So on the negative side of that equation, if you wrestle with believing the Bible is God's word, it could either be a sign that you're not saved or it's a sign that you're not surrendering to the Spirit to illuminate God's word for you. On the positive side of that, if you read God's word and you don't understand it all and you even wrestle with some things, but you land on faith, you say, Lord, I don't get it, but I know this is your word and I trust it. That is the Holy Spirit at work in you. And that's encouraging because if he's so powerful to overcome our questions and our doubts and our fears and cause us to trust in God's word, how much more is the spirit able to then enact God's word in our lives and cause that dependency on his word to grow and be more significant in our lives? So God, the Holy Spirit in salvation, causes a person to believe on Christ Scripture describes this as the Spirit of God taking that sinful heart of stone and turning it to a heart of flesh. And that truly is the greatest miracle we could ever see. Our statement of faith says it this way. The Spirit glorifies Christ and bears witness to him, convicting the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, He inspired the record of new covenant revelation and makes it effective in people's hearts through the gift of regeneration. He illuminates God's word to his people, assures them of God's love, comforts them with his presence, intercedes on their behalf, and sanctifies them in conformity to the image of Christ. The Spirit is the bond of our union with Christ, the seal of our salvation the first fruits of our redemption, and the guarantee of our inheritance. Paul reminds young Pastor Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So if you are saved today, it is because the Holy Spirit revived your heart, made you alive, convicted you of your sin, and revealed Jesus as the only remedy. The Spirit did that in you. Now, that's the Spirit's saving work. And even though that is the greatest miracle of all, we don't stop there. The Spirit also does cleansing work in us the Spirit's cleansing work. We call that sanctification. Again, just a big word that means the lifelong process of hating my sin more and loving Jesus more. The lifelong process of moving farther away from sin and my old life and becoming more and more conformed or molded into who Jesus is. Now that's just mind-blowing all by itself, that Jesus promises to mold us into his image, to look more and more like him. We're we're accurate to say nobody's perfect when we're talking about each other. We're accurate to say I'm an ongoing work. I'm not going to be completed until I stand before the Lord. But let's just remember that is an incremental growth. It's not like we're just going to be completely destitute and then all of a sudden be perfect in his presence. There is an incremental growing that God intends for his people. Spiritual maturity, more dependence on the spirit, more transformation in his word, more faithfulness in sharing the gospel with others. So the work of sanctification in the heart of the Christian is never meant to stay private, and it's never meant just for us. Oh, it's enough for us to praise God forever if he just changes our hearts. But he does it so that we could then let that shine to others and help others walk in the newness of the Spirit. And so when we see this conviction of our sin, we have to be very careful to know the difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and what that means. That means when when we sin, the Spirit just kind of tweaks our hearts, reminds us that's not pleasing to the Lord. It's never a hammer. It's never a, a judgmental thing. It's, a, it's that tender change, like, you know, that, that wasn't right. That's not pleasing to the Lord. For a believer, we feel that, we know that. That's the Spirit at work. And conviction is always meant to lead us to repentance. But now condemnation which we can often confuse with conviction, is completely different. Condemnation means you have no hope. Your sin remains. You are judged and found guilty, and it's one of the favorite tools of the devil. To try and condemn believers whose sins have already been paid for on the cross. To try and convince us that because of that failure, God no longer loves you, and the Spirit no longer lives in you, and those are lies from hell. And so we know the truth is the spirit convicts, but the devil condemns. But the Holy Spirit growing in us can help guard our hearts against being confused in those two things, surrendering more to Christ, trusting more in his grace, desiring more what we see in the word and what we see lived out with each other in good examples that as Paul says, follow me as I follow the Lord. We want to be a church full of people who can say that with humility, with complete dependence on the Lord, but to say, follow me as I follow the Lord. Let us be those examples in the power of the Spirit for each other. Now, very practically, the Spirit is growing every believer. And if you ever doubt the work of the Spirit or it looks like you're not progressing at all, just ask a few questions. Ask, and, and, and maybe it's a timeline of a year ago or two years ago or last week, But just ask today about yourself, does it seem like I've grown at all in my desire for God? That could be in reading the Bible, that could be in praying, that could be in wanting to be with other Christians, that could be in just wanting to give God glory and celebrate him. Have you grown at all? Has the needle moved at all over the years? Well, that's the work of the Spirit in you. Now, let me quickly say this. If you ask a question like that and you come to a different conclusion, and as, you're, as you do self-assessment, it kind of feels like you've been stagnant. Or maybe it even feels like you've gone down in your sanctification, your walk with Christ. One possibility is you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit, but as sanctification is never just this even trajectory of always increasing, it looks more like the stock market It's just ups and downs. Our Christian life, sometimes it feels like we're just right next to heaven and other times it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling. Sometimes it feels like we've got victory in our lives over that area that plagues us and other times we just feel like we've completely failed God. But if we're believers... His love does not wax and wane with our performance. And we can be confident that the Spirit doesn't have the key in the door of our heart saying, okay, one more time and I'm leaving. Uh, Don't do it. I'm leaving. No, the Spirit is there. He's helping us in those ups and downs. Because when we're down, He's picking us up. And when we're up, He's reminding us we didn't do it. He did. And so we're always growing. And don't forget, our self-assessment is rarely accurate. What we think about ourselves is rarely accurate what we really are. Let us walk in grace, even in that assessment, knowing that the Spirit is at work. What does that look like? Scripture just makes it clear. It looks like more love, and more joy, and more peace, and more gentleness, and more self-control. The fruit of the Spirit are growing. And when we feel like we failed in those areas, we can see that. That we see it is the Holy Spirit. That we can honestly, graciously look at areas of our lives and say, that's something that needs to grow. The Holy Spirit is the one that revealed that, which means the Holy Spirit is gonna be the one to help you in that. Isn't that wonderful news? And so, this, is, this relationship, this indwelling by the Spirit, Jesus makes it clear, this is unique only for the Christian. This isn't for the world. Again, in John 14, 17, Jesus said, because it neither sees him nor knows him, meaning the world. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, both and. He is with you, which gives a, an implied companionship, always helping. But Jesus makes it clear the Holy Spirit is not the outside force. He's living inside the believer, which also implies that he is at work in those deepest, darkest areas of our hearts that only God knows about that you may do that self-assessment and feel very discouraged. Well, be encouraged. The Holy Spirit is inside you and he sees every single dark corner of your heart and he's going after it. So don't feel condemned when those things come to your mind. It could be the Spirit saying, this is an area I'm at work. Yield. Surrender. This is a good thing. We see the Spirit's work, not just with us, but in us. Now, let me, let me touch on this for a moment. When we talk about being filled with the Spirit. Again, I grew up Pentecostal, and so I had a misunderstanding of what being filled with the Spirit is, and this was my misunderstanding. Now, I'm not saying all Pentecostals believe this, so if this is you, no need to offend. If this is you, join the offense with me, because it's just true. I thought at one time, and I was taught, that there are two classes of Christians Those who are only saved and then those who have the Holy Spirit. Those who have only decided to follow Jesus. It almost implied like, bless your heart, pat you on the head, you're only saved. But if you're really where you need to be, you will be filled with the Spirit. And of course, in, in that world, that meant speaking in tongues. Now, the right thing about that is We should be filled with the Spirit. The wrong thing about that is there is no such thing as a Spirit-less Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. That happens at salvation, and that does not change. However, because we have specific commands all through the New Testament to be filled with the Spirit, that means you and I can pursue being filled over and over and over with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's look at a couple of texts here to see what that looked like in the New Testament. Acts chapter four, Christians already, Pentecost has already happened. They've already received the baptism of the Spirit, that initial response of the Spirit to them. And then Acts 4.31 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Then in Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Disciples, they already had the Spirit, but they were filled again. Ephesians 5, Paul instructs the church, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's talking to the church. Now let this one blow our minds. Luke 4, it says of Jesus, he was full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. So Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. Now, we don't have time to unpack all that entails. but here's the point. The same Holy Spirit that is in you and me is the same Spirit that was in Jesus. The one who was preparing Jesus for ministry, strengthening him against temptation, that's the same Holy Spirit that fills us today. Again, we can't figure that out. Just let it blow our minds for a moment. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit in this way, as the Bible lays out? It means to have more of God. In John the Baptist's famous words, he must increase and I must decrease. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. More of you, Lord. Fill me afresh with the Spirit. Cause me to hate my sin more and love you more. Cause me to walk in less fear of man and more fear of God. Help me, Lord, to love you more and to love others more. It's that incremental growing. Fill me afresh, Lord. Help me me see through that lens more clearly. These areas of my life seem foggy, seem unsure. I, I seem shaky. Lord, fill me afresh with the spirit that I could see what you're doing and I would have the courage to obey. It's every day. I would encourage you, make that part of your prayer. Make that part of your quiet time. Lord, fill me again with the Spirit. Fill me afresh with the Spirit. Strengthen me again in the Spirit. Jesus didn't need to be sanctified. He was already sinless. We are not sinless. And yet, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit to depend on him to strengthen us against temptation? So this morning, are you you weak? Do you feel susceptible to temptation lately? Pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you afresh. Do you find yourself lacking a desire for God's word and prayer? Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh and give you new desires. Lord, change the desires in me and fill me with your spirit again. On the positive side, have you noticed that maybe you were convicted of a certain sin this week? That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. Have you noticed your, your desire for God's word has increased? Your desire for the fellowship has increased? Your encouragement, even in the face of a culture who is increasingly hostile to the gospel, that, that you just find yourself with more courage and more faith? That's the Holy Spirit at work. So we're not waiting on something to happen. He's already doing it. But he wants us to see what he's doing so that we will depend on him more, so that we will see Christ more clearly. Amen? The Statement of Faith says this. As the all-sufficient Savior, Christ also sanctifies his people, cleansing them from the impurity of sin and setting them apart for God in his service. The renewing work of the Holy Spirit breaks their bondage to sin and Satan and raises them to new life, enabling believers to put sin to death and grow in likeness to Christ The ultimate goal of sanctification is our full conformity to Christ's image, which will finally come when believers are raised physically with Christ in glory, freed from sin, and exulting in the presence of God forever. That's our promise, church. And so this morning, I just want to close with this. To be a gospel-centered people means we must be a spirit-filled people a spirit-dependent people. We want to be more attentive to the spirit, listening for his voice, sensitive to his leading, so that we can see that for our own lives in following Christ and helping others do the same. Those people in Haiti who got those glasses, they had the choice to put them on or not. We as believers, we have the choice. Either we're going to walk in the power of the spirit or we're not. And if you're ever wondering if that choice is really accurate, think about the texts that say we can resist the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit. Those are elements that show us there are ways we can choose not to be influenced by the Spirit in ways that will be unhelpful for us. And so the conviction this morning, the message this morning for us, cross of grace, let's choose to live by the Spirit He lives in you already. Let's grow in our dependence on him to see the truth of God's word, to have the boldness of sharing that with others and to see Jesus and give him glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said that you would ask the Father and he would give the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to be with us forever. You promised that he would dwell with us and in us. So we thank you for that good gift from you, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us for trying to do supernatural work through the strength of our flesh. Or forgive us for the times we've neglected the person and work of the Spirit. So we ask as a church, as believers, fill us afresh with the Spirit that we would see you, Jesus, and that we would help others see you. To the glory of your name, amen.